So again, the title of our message this morning, On Mission, John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Before we get into those verses, I don't know how many of you have driven down the 91 freeway. There's a big bulletin, and by no means am I trying to bash on CBU this morning, our local uh, Cal Baptist University, but there is a billboard that caught my attention. And on the side of this billboard, it says, Live Your Purpose, which is their slogan for their school. And the picture is a guy doing the robot dance, like this. And it's Live Your Purpose. And I thought as I drove by, I'm like, is that what our purpose is? Is our purpose in life to do the robot? Is that, is that what God's created us for? Now, obviously, we can do all things to the glory of God. I get it. But think about it this morning. What is your purpose? How many of us go through life thinking, is there even a purpose? You know, what am I here for? What has God created me for? And then we see a billboard and the guy's like doing like the robot. It's like, well, is that my purpose? Is it to do the robot? Or is there something more? And what about you? How do you answer that question? What is your purpose? What has God created you for? We know in Ephesians, that great second chapter of Ephesians, In verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created good works for us, that we're to walk in them. So what is living your purpose? Well, it's walking in those good works. But for some of us, we go, what are those good works? What has God created for me? What am I to walk in? Well, first you have to know that those are only created for believers. So if you're here this morning, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, those don't apply to you. It's only for believers. The other thing about these good works, there's nothing more rewarding in life but to walk in those good works. There's nothing more rewarding. And that we're also to live today and every day in walking in those good works. And that's what we'll be looking at today as we turn to our text in John chapter 4. Jesus still talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus has gone to the well, he is tired, he is weary, he sits, and a Samaritan woman shows up around noon, and he asks her for a drink. And many of you have been here as we've studied through this, and they go through and they dialogue back and forth. She's surprised why he'd even speak to her being a Samaritan. And they go back and forth, and then they discuss even worship. And Jesus says, look, the time is coming, you're not going to worship there or here, because it's about me, he basically says, you're going to worship And this morning, we're going to pick up right there in verse 27. So if you have a Bible this morning, or if you have your bulletin, if you could stand up and honor the public reading of God's Word this morning. In John chapter 4, we're going to pick up, starting in verse 27, and I'll read through verse 42 this morning. Starting in verse 27, we read, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you see? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who has sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes 
and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So reads God's infallible, inerrant, and holy word. Please be seated, church. Before we begin to study God's word this morning together, let's ask God for his blessing upon our study. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, Father, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are good. Thank you for sending your Son to give us hope and to give us purpose. We ask you, O oh Lord, that your Spirit would illuminate your word to us so that we would know it and that we would live by it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are taking notes this morning, we'll be looking at three different points this morning. The first one is transformed to testify. Point number two will be sustenance for serving. And the last point this morning is ready to reap. Again, one is transformed to testify. Two, sustenance for serving. And three, ready to reap. We're going to go through these verses again this morning together. We're going to go line by line and see as we look at point number one, transformed to testify. I want you to think this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, why did God save you? Why? Stop and engage with me. Is it because we were the elite in the group? He looked down and said, there's a great bunch of people. Let me save them. They're going to help me on my team. Because he looked at the depths of our heart and said, oh, there's a good person. No, the Bible says there are none. That our hearts are desperately sick. So then why did God save us? And what is the purpose of life? Well, we know, one, it's to enjoy God, to glorify him forever. But specifically, how do we break that down? We're going to see in the Samaritan woman, she has an interaction with Jesus. And immediately she begins to live her purpose. It's an immediate response after an interaction with Christ. Look with me in verse 27. First we see his disciples return. If you recall earlier in chapter 4, Jesus comes to the well. His disciples have left to go get lunch. Obviously they're hungry. They find lunch. They show up. And we see here in verse 27, they're surprised when they show up. It says just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. Now, a Jewish man should not be speaking to a woman, and especially a Samaritan woman. And if you've been with us and know about this woman, a promiscuous woman, a woman who has had five husbands and now is with another man who is not her husband. And we don't know for certain, but this woman who was promiscuous could have even been flirtatious in this interaction. And yet they show up and see Jesus speaking to her. Think of the surprise. 
And I want you to think about that initially when we get started about talking about living your purpose. Because we're going to talk about us taking the gospel to others. And who do we take it to? Those who look nice? Those who have a suit and tie on? They look proper? This is a woman who was promiscuous. And Jesus engaged her with the truth. He loved on her with the truth that he has come to save her. Here we see the disciples show up and they're clueless. They're thinking, why is he speaking to this woman? They have no idea. They marveled. And no one said anything, but they thought it. What, what do you see? Or why are you talking with her? And they're thinking this, and they're not saying it because Jesus is speaking. And immediately this woman does something. She takes off. What did the woman come to the well for? Water. Jesus offered her living water. She came with a jar to get water, and look what it says in verse 28. What did she do? She left it. Jesus has a profound impact on people. Some of you might remember when he went down by the sea, he saw Peter and Andrew. And what were they doing? They had their nets. And what did they do with their nets? They dropped them, and they followed him. This woman has come to the well for water, and it says she left the jar there. Now, we don't know why she left the jar there. Maybe it was heavy to carry back, and she wanted to go in a hurry. Maybe that water didn't matter anymore. Maybe what she heard about Christ was so profound, that water that would cause her thirst again didn't matter. And she was going to tell people about the living water that they would never thirst again. So we see in verse 28, picking up verse 28, we see, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town, and she said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now she goes into town. Anybody remember the time of day she came up? It was around noon. It's not a time that people would go to get water. They would go in the morning, in the cool of the day, or in the evening. She's coming at noontime to avoid all the scrutiny of people. She's an outcast. And yet she goes back into town and she has an announcement. And she's not ashamed to make the announcement. Come, you've got to see this person. You've got to see the one who she believes is the Christ. But if she goes into town and says, come, I have found the Christ, they would have dismissed her. What do you know? You're a promiscuous woman. But instead, she perks up their interest. Come, can you tell me, is this the Christ? Is this the one? And she gets their attention to come to investigate. It says in verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. I want you to skip down to verse 39 to see the continued narrative here. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Stop there. What kind of woman was she? She was a sinner. She was a promiscuous woman. And yet the gospel came to her and transformed her. And she met Christ. And because she's been transformed, she goes into town no longer ashamed of her past, no longer ashamed of the things she's done, and she's telling people about Jesus. And we read here, look, Scripture doesn't make her name, but it says, because of this woman, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of her testimony when she told them, he has told me all things I ever did. 
Now, by the way, church, that's quite an exaggeration in our minds. He didn't tell her everything she ever did, but he told her the deepest, darkest secrets of her life. And to her, that was the totality of her life. He had exposed and he knew everything about her. And that's what she goes and tells them. He knows everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And they stayed there two days. Stop there for a second. This woman comes to a well for one purpose, water. She comes to get water. And she has an interaction with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And her world is turned right side up. Nothing matters to her at this point except that she has met Jesus. That she has seen and heard and can testify that he is the living water. That those who thirst will never thirst again when they come to him. And she goes into town and she tells everybody. And they come out and many of them come to faith because of this woman. Church, I don't know what your past is. I don't know what the things that you hide in the closet. We call them skeletons in the closet that we hidden from the past. But this woman had many. And yet this woman has a purpose. She's been given purpose to go and testify about the Savior of the world. She's been saved to serve. And you here this morning that confess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you also are called to testify. Have you met Him? Have you come to Christ? Has your life been radically changed? Now let me qualify that real quick. That does not mean that life is all peachy and perfect and there's no problems or difficulties. But it means you have a Savior and a Helper now to get you through the storms. It means you have a heavenly perspective that you once did not. It means the sin that you were once in bondage to, you've now been freed from. And you've been forgiven from. That you no longer have to walk in shame and guilt of what you've done. Has that happened to you? Have you experienced that? Then our response is much like the Samaritan one, to drop everything and go tell others of what has happened. They come to Jesus. Why? Because of her testimony. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go and tell others about Christ. To go and to testify about Him. And we read here, then they come to Christ and they say, could you stay with us a couple days? They start with the testimony of the woman, but then read with me in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. That's how we grow, through God's word. That as we're called to go and to testify, that we also point people to God's word. That we might be a messenger of good news. But ultimately, here it is. God's revealed word right here. His written word. His holy and infallible word. They have Jesus in the flesh to speak to them. To teach them. And they believe. And many believe. And then they say to the woman, It's no longer because of what you've said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. This is verse 42. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Church, this morning, can you testify to that? That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. 
Now let me ask you a question. I'm going to dig a little deeper. If you testify to that, is that because you have a head knowledge of that or because you've been transformed from the inside out? That you can tell people that this truth, this Savior has transformed my life from the inside out. That who I was, I no longer am. That my identity is no longer who I used to be, but I am now in Christ. That He not only lived for me to fulfill the law, but He died for me to forgive me, and He rose again to justify me, that I might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That God the Father could look upon me as He would look upon His Son. That is an amazing truth. Amazing. Look, you guys know you, and I know me. And I know the things I've done. I know my past. And to be clothed now in the righteousness of Christ. The fact that Christ would live for me, die for me, rise again for me, is an amazing truth. That truly He is the Savior of the world. That phrase right there, Savior of the world, only used one other time in the Bible by the same writer. John in his epistle in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 14 wrote, We testify that we've seen and testified the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ has come to save you. That's a hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. For those of you that have been with us through our journey through John, you know the interaction Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, a rich ruler. He was a religious ruler, and he was one of the elite. We now look at a Samaritan woman who's ostracized. She's a woman who's promiscuous. She has a past. Completely different people on different sides of the spectrum. And the gospel comes to them both. Jesus said to Nicodemus, very famous verses, John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the verse goes on. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He is the one. Do you hold on to that truth? Do you possess that truth? If you do, you have been transformed to testify to that truth. That you have the truth to tell the world. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Anybody watch the news? Man, it can be pretty discouraging. There's not many highlights in the news. There's a lot of lowlights. And yet there's plenty of people out there who are saying, this is how we fix it. Or this is how we fix it. Or if we vote this person to this office or that person to that office, then it will all get fixed. You think that's going to fix things? No. But we have the truth. That there is one who has come to save the world. The Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you been transformed? Has Christ changed you from the inside out? Because we have to share what he's done in our lives. And I have some people say to me, as my own children, who have been raised in a Christian household, say, well, I, I don't know, I always grew up in a Christian household. Maybe I've never had a rebellion streak where I went off. They say, well, what is my testimony? How do I share anything if that's never been part of my life? That is your testimony. The sustaining power of God to hold you back from all the wickedness in the world is an amazing testimony. And for those of us that maybe don't have that testimony, 
But maybe we have those skeletons in the closet. We have that past. But we've been forgiven. We've been made anew, that we're a new creation in Christ. We can tell others that we're now free in Christ. I've been forgiven. If you have experienced forgiveness, you can't help but tell other people, I've been forgiven. And you too can be forgiven. And one of the biggest fears for Christians, oftentimes, is telling people about their faith. This Samaritan woman had no problem. She met Jesus. She drops her jar and she goes running into town. You've got to come meet him. If your life's been transformed by him, you must tell others. And so many people in our culture say, well, yeah, I know Jesus. Been there, done that. I tried him. He didn't work for me. They don't know him. You know, there's some simple diagnostic questions to ask somebody. Something simple like, if you were to die today, are you certain that you'd go to heaven? People will answer that question. Some will say, I hope so. Well, if they hope so, they probably don't have much certainty that they're saved. Some will say, I don't know. And some will say, yes, I do. The follow-up question is, why? If you think you're going to heaven, why? And most people, church will tell you, because I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. I'm not as bad as... And they go down the list. But the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we need this Savior who has come to save the world. This Jesus. And when we testify, this Jesus has transformed my life. That I'm not who I used to be. That He's given me a new heart with new desires. That instead of only living for me, myself, and I, I have desired to live for Him, for His glory, for His ways, for His purposes. That's transformation. We must testify to the truth that we have been transformed for this very purpose. Now, to take the pressure off our shoulders as you go, man, now i got to go tell people about Jesus. And what happens if they don't receive it? You know many people won't receive it? You know that's true? Many will reject the good news of Jesus Christ. But I love what Mark Dever wrote. It's also in your bulletins. If you have your bulletin, it's on the right side, inside. He wrote, we do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We fail only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. Do you guys understand that? We don't fail if the person is not converted. That's not our business. We can't change the heart of somebody. God has to do a miracle in them. He must cause them to be born again. He has only called us to come and to testify, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't walk away and go, oh man, I must have done something wrong. I must not have followed the formula right because they didn't believe it. Instead, we walk away going, Lord, may that truth be implanted upon their heart. May you empower it for eternal life. He's got to do the work. We're called to go and to testify. By the way, in doing this church, there's nothing more rewarding. It is truly, as we look at point number two, our sustenance for serving. Point number two, sustenance for serving. Let's go back. We'll, we'll read in verse 31. Turn back to verse 31. 
says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. Remember, they had gone off to get lunch. Jesus has an interaction with the Samaritan woman. They come back with food. He's tired and weary. And they come back and they begin to urge him. Rabbi, eat. Stop there real quick. Was he hungry? Yeah, we know from the context he was hungry. We know from the context that when he got there and sat the well, he was tired and weary that they went off to get lunch to bring it back to him. So they show up with lunch and they go, Rabbi, eat. And the next verse, verse 32 says, Jesus responds to them and says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Stop there for a second. What do you think they were thinking? Like, pat him down. Where, where's he hiding it? Where's that inside that row? Where, he's holding out on us? He sent us off to get food and he's got food that we don't know about? Where's this food? This is what they're thinking. They're thinking it's literal food. So we keep reading. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? So they're thinking, hey, did you sneak him something? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Oh, wait a minute. Stop there for a second. Anybody ever eaten something of just following someone's will? Unless their will is for you to eat, then they gave you food. Hey, my will is for you to eat this feast. Then I'd get it. That's some physical sustenance, some, some substantial food that you could eat. But Jesus speaking of my father's will is something that I can be sustained by. Just doing what he has called me to do is what I can be sustained by. We read in Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, verse 8, David says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. The delight, the change of heart to do God's will. I want to ask you real quick, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? Some of you just looking at me like, no. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and they received what you were saying? There's nothing like that. There's no experience in life for a believer to be able to share with somebody the good news of Jesus Christ and for God to turn a light bulb on in that person's life. To regenerate that person in front of your eyes, there is no experience like it. I call it a spiritual high. That it is something that you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking at that moment, I need to go get a cheeseburger. You could care less about anything else other than this is absolutely amazing. That God would use a wretch like me as a vessel to tell somebody the good news of Jesus Christ and I would watch them be transformed before my eyes. There is nothing like it. Job has said this. Job in Job 23, verse 12, the latter part, he says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. God's word. That he would treasure more than food itself. God's word that we would go and share with others, that they would treasure his word. Many of you know Jesus quoted uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, when he was tempted. He said, For man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That we too should share God's word. Some of us come here this morning, and some of us are pretty good students of God's word. And we know it. And we can recite it. But we have to do more than just know it, church. We have to live it. We have to obey it. 
We have to follow it, to do it, to walk according to what it says. That's so much more than just to be able to answer a test and get the answers right. It's to live it, to do it. Well, what is what we call, what we have coined, the Great Commission? Anybody know it? Jesus said, go therefore. What did he say to do? Make disciples of all nations. Baptize in the name of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To go. Guess what? That's all of our command. To go and to make disciples. To go and tell others of the good news. That is a command to go. You go, where do I go, Pastor? I don't know, start local. You got a family? Tell them. You go, well, yeah, but even in this text, it's going to say, you know, the prophet's not welcome in his own town. They're going to kick me out and reject me. They're going to say, hey, I know you. I know your past. Well, you're to go and sow a seed to him. Let them know that you have been transformed. Let them watch your life over the years, that you are changed. But then you got neighbors? You got a work to go to? You got a school to go to? Joel just got back from Germany. You going to travel the world? Tell the good news that the Savior has come. Church, you will not find anything more rewarding in this life than doing God's will, than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is called soul winning. We've gotten away from those words, soul winning, but that's what we should be about. To go and share the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody else, to be a soul winner. You know, as the pastor of this church, we can come and I can rightly divide God's word and we can listen to it and we can hear it. But unless we are leaving here and going and sharing with the world the good news of Jesus Christ, this really doesn't matter. The reason we gather together is to corporately worship God, to encourage one another, to stir up love and good works so that we can go scatter and share that with the world. You know, there are many churches today that have a night of the week that has every function known to man. There's like karate night. There, there's, uh, you know, every night has some type of function. You come to the church and do it. There's a problem with that. Do you know what the problem is? They're not living their purpose. They're only gathering together with like-minded believers. We're to go out into the world among sinners and to testify that we've been transformed. That Jesus Christ has changed our life. We're to be soul winners outside these doors, and we're to be busy about soul care inside of these doors. That we would love on each other, encourage one another in the faith. That as we press forward in the faith, there are difficulties. We just heard about Richard Long who passed away. His wife Deanna is now going to be mourning. And what do we do? Many of you that know them will reach out. Many of you will be praying to encourage. That's soul care. Encouraging the person in the faith. And I think Jenny was saying that her text message, that uh, Deanna's text message came in, and she was already praising God that Richard's in a better place. She had the confidence that. But those of you that have lost a loved one, you know you still mourn. You still have the loss of that person. So soul care. We're going to come alongside them and encourage them, love on them. We have people in our body right now who are at home who are suffering and going to their things, that is our job to go and care for them. And there's nothing that matters more. When you're grieving with somebody, you're not thinking, man, we should go get a burger. If you are, something's missing. 
but you're going to hold them and grieve with them. When you're busy about God's business, that is your food. That is what sustains you. That is what Jesus is speaking of, that I have food not hidden in His robe, but it's doing the will of God. And church, I can tell you that there'll be times you'll be hungry, you'll be tired, that you want to sleep or you want to eat, and something will arise. God will either send a person in front of you that says, hey, tell me about Christ. You're like, no one's ever done that in my life before. And all of a sudden, this person stands before me and tells me about Christ. Guess what? You're not going to think about sleep. You're not going to think about eating. You're going to think about, God, give me the words to share with this person. Or you might be on your way to go eat somewhere, do something, and someone calls you and their life is falling apart. And they're crying on the phone. And it's going to be about soul care, about encouraging them in the faith, help them. And again, you're not thinking about that restaurant you're heading to or anything else. Everything stops because that's what matters, is doing the will of God. Point number three this morning, ready to reap. I love what Jesus says here, starting in verse 35. Look down at your Bibles, starting in verse 35. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white with harvest. Now, Samaritans wore white robes, most likely looking out, seeing all the Samaritans coming white robes, speaking of the white field, the harvest. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. So what's going on? Quite honestly, I can't tell you exactly what he's speaking of. Perhaps it's John the Baptist that was out nearby baptizing. And they've heard about that. And now the harvest is prepared. Perhaps it's just the testimony of the woman that has gone out. And that has prepared the harvest. But he says the harvest is ready. And church, here's something that I often hear people say when it comes to testifying to the world. They say, well, people aren't ready right now. They're not ready for the truth. I can't share the truth about Jesus. They're just not ready. My question is, how do you know that? How do you know? This woman was a promiscuous woman. She had five husbands living with the six who was not her husband, and Jesus gave her the truth, and her life was transformed like that. Think about if we judged people and we looked at them. Oh, that guy, he looks like he's got piercings all over his face. He has tattoos across his forehead. He's definitely not ready. Are you kidding me? How do you know? We don't know by the outward appearance. We have no clue. Here Jesus says, look out. The harvest is ready. Go and reap. And rejoice. Many of you are familiar with what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You guys know what that means? There are plenty out there who are waiting for the good news. There's just not enough people going and telling them. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And he tells his disciples, he says, pray earnestly, good Lord that he sends out more laborers. Church, you want to live your purpose? Tell people. Testify. You don't have to be a theologian. Has 
Christ changed your life? Has the gospel changed you? If the gospel has changed you, it has saved you. And if the gospel has saved you, go tell others. Tell them the good news of Jesus. We can't tell by the outside, like I said before, if someone's going to receive it or reject it. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that speaks to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow. So if it's windy, I go, I can't go throw seed. It'll fly all over the place. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Going, well, there's not even clouds. We're not going to grow anything. It's never going to happen. We're never going to get a harvest. The wise man that wrote this. If we only look on what's on the outside, things will never get done. But instead, if we just go and do it and trust God, if we just go and do what he said and testify that we've been transformed, many will come to the faith. Not all, but people will respond because God has called us to go and do it. Some of you look at me and go, well, that's nice. Where do I begin? Right where you're at. Whatever circle of influence God has put you in, testify the good news. Think of the reasons why people would not testify. Anybody have a good reason? People will think differently of me. People might reject me. People might not accept me because now I've told them about Jesus Christ. But what if they did receive it? What if they did? And we're making the judgment by saying, well, uh, they might reject it. Church, we're to go out and testify. Jesus finds a woman, a woman who is a Samaritan woman, and he tells her the good news. She dialogues with him. She leaves everything, goes to tell everybody else, and that should be our life that we would go and testify. Testify to others because God has saved us and he's put us on mission. We're on mission. It doesn't matter if you're two years old or if you're 150 years old. If you are a Christian this morning, you're on mission. And many people think, oh, it's just the pastor's job to be on mission. You know, according to Ephesians chapter 14, the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Is we're all on mission. We're all in ministry. That we've all been saved to go and to testify, to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ. And church, you can come back and you can tell me it was a lie, if it's a lie, which it's not. But there's no greater blessing than being used by God to share the good news of somebody who receives that news. There's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing that you'll experience in this world than seeing someone being transformed before your eyes by the Spirit of God. My encouragement to you through the Word of God is to go and to tell others. But we must be intentional in sharing the gospel. It doesn't just happen. We have turned evangelism into something that we have coined these days as lifestyle evangelism, which means if I just live my life before others in a Christ-like way, they'll come to know Christ. Do you know how many examples you have of that in the Scriptures? None. Because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. That we must tell them, look, there are other people of other religions that go out and try their best to try to work hard because they think by working hard they'll earn their way into heaven. 
and people will look at their good works, and those people are not getting saved by looking at their good works. They must know this one, who they came to know as the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Church, may we be intentional. Who is it in your life right now that you could think of as a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker, a schoolmate? Somebody that you have maybe been friends with, but you have never expressed to them the truth of Jesus Christ? Look, we can come on Sundays, we can listen to a sermon, but if we do nothing with it, it's all for naught. But who is one person you can go and radically change or give them a perception of a changed life? I'm not who I used to be. And maybe they didn't know that person, but you could tell them you've been forgiven in Christ. That God's given you a new heart. That God's given you a new desire. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're like, Pastor, that's great, but I don't think I've ever been transformed by this good news of Jesus Christ. I think I have the head knowledge. Maybe I even grew up in a church and I've always known about Jesus and I've always known about the gospel. But my life has never radically been transformed. Jesus made it simple in a statement of how to go about it, much more difficult in application. First word he said is repent. It means have a change of mind. Turn from living your way and turn to his way. Saying that my way is wrong, his way is right. My pattern of lifestyle, my sin, my whatever is wrong, his way is right. And he said the second thing is believe. Believe what Jesus Christ has done for you. That he lived for you, he died for you, he rose again for you, and by the way, he's still living for you. Scripture says that he continues to intercede for you. That's Jesus. If that's you this morning thinking, well, I know all this in my head, but I've never experienced it in my life, maybe this morning that you repent. Turn to him, believe in him, and that he would transform you today, that you would be like this woman that would leave all and just go tell the world that this day I've been transformed. Church, let's pray together. Father, we are amazed that you would save us, that you would save sinners like us. Father, and then you would desire to use us for your glory. Father, I ask for myself and for this church, Father, that you would give us boldness, boldness to testify to others about the Savior of the world. God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, knowing that it's the power, that it's your power for salvation to everyone who believes. Father, may we enjoy the blessings of doing your will. God, may we be on mission today and every day forward. God, to you be the glory, now and forever. In Jesus' name.